0: voice in your home, we now bring you Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome once again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the uh, completion, the full realization of all of the promise and potential of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments, Anyway, I decided today to return to one of my favorite topics, which is the Second Coming and the conversion of the Jews to precede the Second Coming, and to look at it today in the context of St. Faustina and the Year of Mercy, because I think most of us know that Pope Francis declared from December 8th last year uh, for the uh, following year, which means where we are now, that it would be a, a jubilee year of mercy. And I believe that although he only referenced St. Faustina and the revelations that Jesus made to her, which are recorded in her diary once in the uh, account in, in the bull that he wrote announcing the year of mercy, I can't help feeling that, the inspiration to make this the Jubilee Year of Mercy was in part inspired by the uh, Divine Mercy devotion, which uh, came as a result of Jesus' revelation to St. Faustina. And then, of course, uh, as I think most of us know, that Pope John Paul II, about uh, 12 years ago, officially instituted the Feast of Mercy to be the Sunday after Easter, which was a uh, fulfillment of a request that Jesus had made to St. Faustina. So I thought I'd go back to that theme of the second coming and the conversion of the Jews, but uh, kind of uh, in the light of this being the year of mercy and in the light of the revelations to St. Faustina. So first of all, let me just begin with a short recap of why this is of interest, so to speak, on the show Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism, what this has to do with the conversion of the Jews. And I'll just start by reading a paragraph from the New Catechism of the Catholic Church that puts it in a nutshell. Quote, this is paragraph 674, quote, The glorious Messiah's coming is suspended at every moment of history until his recognition by all Israel. In other words, that the one thing that the second coming is waiting on is the conversion of the Jews, that is, Jesus' recognition by all Israel. And this uh, paragraph in the Catechism is based on a couple of passages of scripture, um, first of all uh, Saint Paul in Romans eleven, and also the words of Jesus himself in in Luke chapter twenty one So let me then, having introduced the idea of why this is all related, simply read a couple of paragraphs before and after the paragraph I just read that really nails down. The centrality, frankly, the centrality of the second coming in uh I what can I say, in Christianity, to the entire thinking of Christianity, to the entire laying out of the meaning of life on earth as revealed in Christianity really only makes sense in the light of the Second Coming. So uh and and I personally uh believe the Second Coming is in isn't uh, talked about enough in Catholic circles, is of course talked about a lot more in Protestant circles, but this whole world and what goes on in this world looks very different if one thinks this world, this physical world, the way it is unfolding day after day is intended to go on forever, or is this physical world the way it's unfolding day after day? From the very beginning in God's plan was to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and once the appointed number of souls, of human souls, are created for heaven, that this the intention always was that this world would end, and at that point, all of the suffering and imperfection, which we associate with God's creation, would go away, and all that would be left of God's creation is an absolutely perfect world in which we would all enjoy eternal beatitude. I don't want to say all of us, but you know what I mean. Um, all of us who are fortunate enough to, to make the grade. So let me read. I'll be read a paragraph 671 to 681 of the New Catechism of the Catholic Church. Although already present in his church, Christ's reign is nevertheless yet to be fulfilled, quote, with power and great glory, close quote, by the king's return to earth. Quote, until there be realized new heavens and a new earth in which justice dwells, the pilgrim church in her sacraments and institutions, which belong to this present age, carries the mark of this world, which will pass. That is why Christians pray above all in the Eucharist to hasten Christ's return by saying to him, Maranatha, our Lord come. So that was uh, paragraph 671, and let me just point out two things. One is that until there be realized new heavens and a new earth in which justice dwells, the pilgrim church, which belongs to this present age, carries the mark of this world which will pass. In other words, you know, as in the Salve Regina, we are in a veil of tears. This world is not the world in which Justice by nature dwells. This world is not the world in which um, every tear is wiped dry and, and, um, you know, all weeping ceases. It never was. It never will be. This is the valley of tears, which we have to pass through to get to that perfect world. And until the new heavens and the new earth in which justice dwells are realized, The church itself in this world carries the mark of this world. In other words, carries an imprint of the imperfections of this world, which also, by the way, is indirectly an apologetic for those who say, look at all of the corruption in the Catholic Church at various points in time. Look at all the priests or bishops or even at some points in time, popes who misbehave. How can the church be God's true institution on earth? And the answer is, it certainly can be. While we are in this world, the Church itself, even though it is God's institution on earth, shares the characteristics of this world, which is the tendency towards decay and corruption and imperfection and injustice and so forth. Continuing with the Catechism, uh, paragraph 673, Since the Ascension, Christ's coming in glory has been imminent. The glorious Messiah's coming is suspended at every moment of history until his recognition by all Israel. For a hardening has come upon part of Israel in their unbelief toward Jesus. The full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in which God may be all in all. So let me just go through that a little bit. I mentioned before about the glorious Messiah's coming being suspended at every moment of history until his recognition by all Israel. And then the passage goes on. The full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what this is talking about actually uh, is again drawn from Romans 11, and the idea is that, um, that in this period before the first and second coming, first the full number of the Gentiles must come in. This is, uh, referred to by Jesus as, as the times of the Gentiles in, uh, I believe it's Matthew 23, perhaps I'll, I'll read that at some point. But this is the time of the Gentiles in which the full number of the Gentiles is to come in, and then when the full number of the Gentiles has come in, then the veil will be lifted from the eyes of the Jews, and the Jews, too, will come in, and then the full inclusion of the Jews, in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles, in the wake, meaning, of course, following, like the wake of a boat, you know, as follows the passage of the boat, in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles, the full inclusion of the Jews will come in, and that will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, at that point, the church will be completed, uh, the church will be completed with a full number of the Gentiles and then it will be uh, completed with the inclusion of the Jews and then the church comprising Jew and Gentile will be fully complete and will be ready for the second coming. Um, this is, by the way, uh, also referred to by Paul in, in Romans 11 in the image of the olive tree where he talks about the olive tree of salvation and that branches were broken off to graft in Wild olive shoots, the tree of uh, the olive tree of salvation being Judaism. The branches which were broken off being the Jews who didn't follow Christ. They were broken off in order to graft in wild olive branches. That is the Gentiles, which are then enter the church. And then, when the full number of those have been grafted in, God has the power to graft in the original branches back again. That is essentially the return of the Jews to the church, and then the tree will be complete comprised of the grafted-in Gentile branches and the restored or re-grafted-in original branches, being the Jews. So let me go on with the catechism. Um, The the church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover, when she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. The kingdom will be fulfilled then, not by historic triumph of the church, through a progressive ascendancy but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil which will cause his bride to come down from heaven now this is very important because there is an error that a lot of uh, people fall into these days a lot of catholics and even i have heard it sometimes coming from from um catholics who should know better a kind of hope that the kingdom of god will be fulfilled in this world through a sort of progressive ascendancy. In other words, the Catholic Church will gain more and more influence over this world until it actually establishes a world of peace and justice on this earth through this progressive ascendancy. Uh, this is not the uh, eschatology, which is just a fancy word for kind of end times prophecy, that The church gives us and that Jesus himself gives us and that the scripture gives us. This is not the way salvation history will unfold. Uh, I'll just repeat this. This is from paragraph 677 of the Catechism. The kingdom will be fulfilled then not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil, which will cause his bride to come down from heaven. In other words, life on earth is not going to get better and better and better until it's the heavenly Jerusalem. Quite the contrary, that final um, translation into the uh, heavenly Jerusalem, that final uh, transformation will only come about by, in fact, what looks like the triumph of evil. In other words, the situation on earth getting worse and worse and worse and worse and evil gaining more and more and more power and ascendancy until the crisis gets so bad that it will, as the catechism says, cause his bride to come down from heaven. In other words, uh, precipitate the second coming. The second coming won't be precipitated by things getting better and better and better on earth until it's ready for the second coming. On the contrary, the second coming will be precipitated by things getting worse and worse and worse on earth until the only solution is essentially the second coming, the descent of uh, the bride from heaven. In other words, the descent of the heavenly Jerusalem. Going on to the next sentence here, God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. Okay, so this is, we know this uh, dogmatically, we know this from the, uh, it's, uh, at least from the Catechism of the Council of Trent, In the 16th century, that before uh, Christ will return in glory, we know that four things will happen. We know there will be a conversion of the Jews. We know that there will be the reign of the Antichrist. In other words, a very powerful evil figure will gain this tremendous ascendancy over the world. We know that the gospel will be preached to the four corners of the earth. And we know that there will be a widespread falling away from the faith known as the great apostasy. Later in the show, I will read those passages from the Catechism of the Council of Trent. So anyway, um, then I'll just finish this passage from the New Catechism, paragraph 681. On Judgment Day at the end of the world, Christ will come in glory to achieve the definitive triumph of good over evil, which, like the wheat and the tares, have grown up together in the course of history. I think we all remember the parable of the wheat and the tares. God's plan, his system for salvation, is not that he will pull up the tares and somehow uh, kind of uh, uh, purify the garden so that only the wheat grows, only the flowers grow, and all of the evil weeds will be done away with. That's not how things are supposed to work. The wheat and the tares will grow up together, until the very end, and it is the second coming which will uh, provide the definitive triumph of good over evil, not a kind of progressive pruning out of evil in the world. Now, why am I talking about this in the context of the conversion of the Jews? Because um, I wanted to use the words of the catechism to underline that we are called as Christians to pray to hasten Christ's return. We're supposed to be praying that Jesus might return in glory soon. We should be praying for the second coming. We should be working for the second coming. And um, uh, there are two positive ways to work for the second coming. One is the spread of the gospel throughout the four corners of the earth, because we know that is a necessary precondition for the Second Coming. And the other positive way to work for the Second Coming is to try to bring about the conversion of the Jews. That is, to at least pray for the conversion of the Jews, to have a heart for the conversion of the Jews, and even when it is appropriate to evangelize Jews, or at least to share the faith with Jews, to invite them into the fullness of Judaism, which is the Catholic Church. And this is part of our duty as... as um, as Christians, it's not some people are afraid to pray for the second coming because of course, the second coming has to be preceded by this apparent triumph of evil this this darkening of things on the world stage but i that's a fallacy for two reasons in other words, it's a fallacy that we shouldn't pray for the second coming for that reason for two reasons, and one is because we're explicitly told to pray for the second coming, to hasten Christ's return. And the second reason, which is perhaps even closer to our hearts, is that that evil will ascend over this world until the second coming. So the sooner the second coming comes, the less dominant that evil will have become. As Jesus says in the Gospels, unless those days are shortened, even the elect would be lost. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened in other words we can be shortening the days of the apparent triumph of evil over the world precisely by praying for the second coming so let me just say again let's hasten christ's return by saying to him maranatha our lord come which by the way is pretty much the very last sentence in the new testament at the end of revelation chapter 22 the, the book of Revelation, which of course closes the New Testament, closes with, quote, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, our Lord, come. So that sort of sets the, uh, backdrop of, um, what I was going to talk about today. And again, this is Roy Shoman and you're listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. Now let me go to some passages from St. Faustina's diary. Now, of course, this isn't gospel, and one doesn't have to, as a matter of faith, accept the uh, veracity, the exactness of the revelations to St. Faustina. But we do know that they were held in very high regard, by saint john paul ii saint pope john paul ii who was instrumental in uh, bringing the saint faustina's diary to the light of day having it approved by the church and finally as i mentioned at the outset of the show introducing the feast of divine mercy in direct response to a request by jesus made to saint faustina recorded in the diary so it certainly has a pretty authentic uh, seal of being kosher, so to speak, coming from St. John Paul II. So, and the reason I'm going to read these passages is because when you read St. Faustina's diary, which I strongly recommend over and over and over again, Jesus. And at one point, the blessed Virgin Mary say things which suggest that the second coming is quite near is nigh. And in fact, The revelation of God's mercy made by um, made through uh, St. Faustina and her diary and in fact underlined this year by uh, Pope Francis naming this year the Jubilee Year of Mercy um, is in fact that that um, phase of this unprecedented emphasis on God's mercy is in itself a sign of the second coming because as Jesus says in the diary, now is the time for my mercy because the next stage is my justice. In other words, the second coming. So let me read those uh, passages from St. Faustina's diary. And the way quotations are usually cited from St. Faustina's diary is by paragraph numbers because every paragraph is numbered. So I will uh, mention the paragraph number after the quotation so that one can go back to it if one wishes. First of all, in paragraph 429, Jesus says to St. Faustina, quote, you will prepare the world for my final coming, close quote. So pretty unambiguously, Jesus's revelations of divine mercy to St. Faustina were in themselves a uh, preparation and announcement that the immediate next phase will be his final coming. I see we do have a caller, so let me uh, turn to him. Uh, are you there, Jerry?
1: Yes, I am. Uh, Hi. My question is, you kept referring to uh, uh his, he was sending his bride down from heaven. You you, you kind of danced around it, didn't <laughs> say exactly what the bride was. Is, is that, because we know the bride, the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Mother? Are you saying that he's going to send her down? to You know, to fight the evil, or what, what exactly are you saying? There, who is this bride you're talking
0: about? Okay, very, very good. And in fact, um, congratulations on noting that I was dancing around it, because I was dancing around it, uh, because because um, I'm not, in, frankly, I'm not entirely comfortable um, explaining it. But to my best of my understanding what that bride is, is the heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, the church in glory is the bride of Christ. And when the church in glory descends from heaven, that's the heavenly Jerusalem coming to earth. In other words, that is the transition from life on earth to the heavenly Jerusalem. So the bride of Christ is, in fact, the church in glory, so to speak.
1: Right, Right, uh, yeah, the uh, yeah. church is referred to as the
0: Bride of Christ. Yeah, and that's the, yeah, uh, that's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I you know, the, the the sentence is kind of hard. I, I mean, in other words, it would be more straightforward, in a sense, in, to my ears, if it was Christ coming down from heaven rather than the church coming down from heaven. So, but it's, here in the catechism, it's, called, it's referring to it as the Bride of Christ coming down from heaven, which is, I believe, the descent of the heavenly Jerusalem to earth. In other words, you know, the the wrapping up life on earth and having just okay. uh, the heavenly. Life right. there's,
1: there's a difference. There's a difference in the bride of Christ and the bride of the Holy Spirit. You know, there is a difference there. So, you know, um,
0: actual? The, the the um In what sense is the Holy Spirit the bride of Christ?
1: No, no. The holy the bride, of the Holy Spirit oh. is the Holy Mother, and I've heard that, that you know the Church person, is the bride of Christ.
0: But yeah, Christ and the
1: Holy Spirit, of course, are, are one in Trinity. Which brings me to the next part of the question. I heard, I don't either read it from a mystic, I don't know if I uh, read it in a, in a, in a greater you know, the city of God or what, but uh, telling about, you know, uh, the, say the last pope, or not maybe the last pope, but, a, but the actual invasion of uh, of, uh, of the Vatican by what was soon to be, I guess, Muslim, and that when they got inside there would be a, a woman standing there with a child in her arms. Uh, and then I was thinking maybe that relates and and, and then it put a stop to that right away. I didn't know if that was, they were referring again to the Holy Mother there at, or at the end of this battle between you know, good and evil. Spiritual thing yeah. we're about to face or we'll face someday.
0: Yeah. Um I don't Have You heard not,
1: that No, before? I'm not
0: familiar with that, you know, with that uh, particular visionary prophecy. And um to tell the truth, one of the reasons I'm doing the show in a way or the show on this topic today is because I'll just speak for myself, which is you know, I I've read a lot of Catholic visionaries um including um uh, Mary of Agrita and, and Anne Catherine Emmerich and Maria Valtorta and so forth. And in some sense, I, I I'm tempted to say I can't make heads or tails of it. Um, things get very mystical quite quickly. And, um, they because, and in the Protestant circles, things get very, in some sense, mystical very quickly when you're, when they talk about the rapture and, you know, people being lifted up from earth and so forth. And one of the problems that I see is that because things get, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but kind of bizarre very quickly and very hard to understand very quickly, people shy away from thinking about the end of the world and thinking about the second coming because they just see it as this ocean of strange images which they can't make heads or tails out of. At least I'm talking about myself in some sense. But as Catholics, we have, excuse me?
1: I said, absolutely,
0: yeah. I, I can understand that. So what I want to do with this show is is kind of show that we actually have a solid foundation. We don't have to get confused. There's a lot of really solid stuff there in dogma that's kind of very matter of fact and down to earth. And we can, you know, start by standing on that before we have to try to make heads or tails out of the more mystical stuff. So I kind of wanted to out you know underline the more straightforward stuff, which we also know about the end of the world.
1: Okay. Well, that brings me to one more question. Okay. If I may. Sure. Uh, about, uh, Marianne Uh, I understand there's some mystical stuff there, but I found that in four volumes. Matter of fact, my mother told me I shouldn't read that till I was over 60, you know, long ago. And, uh, uh, I found that her examples in what, what, he talks about there is, is is pretty solid and basic on how to be a good Christian or a good Catholic in particular. Uh, you know, it's, it was amazing. I had to read that. I didn't see any reason to read the early Fathers anymore, you know. Uh, it, was, it was such a revealing book as to how to live, you know, how to prepare yourself, and how to die even, you know.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely.
1: But uh, and I don't hear that book mentioned much, you know. It's, it's a hard read. Uh, you know, and to me, it's one of the first books in the church. But anyway, I, I, I thank you for your time, and uh, uh, just wanted to get a couple of things cleared on on the, the bride from heaven.
0: Sure. No, uh, thank you. I and uh, uh, you know, good job. I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to to clarify that. I did kind of skate over it first time around. So uh, thanks a lot for calling, and uh, I hope you keep listening. Um. So let me, uh, actually, we are halfway through the show already. So let me take a short break, as I usually do halfway through the show. And uh, when we come back from the break, I will continue talking about uh, what St. Faustina or Jesus, in his words to St. Faustina, has to say about the Second Coming. So back in a few moments. Mm-hmm.
1: You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to Jesus,
0: the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman. Welcome back to our show. And I've been speaking today about the second coming, the conversion of the Jews, kind of in the light of St. Faustina and the divine mercy and this being the Jubilee year of mercy. So uh, just before the break, I began reading citations, quotes from St. Faustina's diary, in which Jesus speaks about both divine mercy and the relationship between this um, resurgence of a devotion to divine mercy and the imminence, the nearness of the second coming. And I will continue doing that now. Back to St. Faustina's diary. This is now paragraph 848 in which Jesus is talking about the chaplet of divine mercy. And I know that most regular Radio Maria listeners are familiar with the chapter of divine mercy. I know there's a very wonderful show that immediately precedes mine that is devoted to divine mercy. And so you probably know about the chaplet of divine mercy and the incredible graces associated with it. So this is what Jesus says at one point about the chaplet of divine mercy. Quote, oh, what great graces I will grant to souls who say this chaplet! The very depths of my tender mercy are stirred for the sake of those who say the chaplet. Write down these words, my daughter. Speak to the world about my mercy. Let all mankind recognize my unfathomable mercy. It is a sign for the end times. After it will come the day of justice. While there is still time. Let them have recourse to the fount of my mercy. Let them profit from the blood and water which gushed forth from, for them. That was paragraph 848. So we see here Jesus himself is in fact saying that the revelation of divine mercy and this uh, unprecedented outpouring of mercy and the outpouring of mercy associated with the chaplet are all a sign for the end times because after it will come the day of justice. In other words, it is a last huge, gosh, you know, geyser of mercy being poured out over the world because after it comes the day of justice. Um, And he says this a number of times and makes reference to the fact that that's what's going on with the revelation of divine mercy. And as I mentioned early in the show, Very sobering to think that not only did we recently have the revelation of divine mercy to San Faustina, but this is in fact the year which is the Jubilee year of mercy. So it's kind of a doubling down on this outpouring of mercy. So that might in itself suggest that uh, it's even more of a last push to the finish line before the Day of Justice. Anyway, uh, some more citations about that. This is paragraph 1146. Jesus speaking, before I come as a just judge, I first open wide the door of my mercy. He who refuses to pass through the door of my mercy must pass through the door of my justice. And um, uh, here's another in uh, paragraph 1588, Jesus speaking again, in the old covenant, I send prophets wielding thunderbolts to my people. Today I am sending you with my mercy to the people of the whole world. I do not want to punish aching mankind, but I desire to heal it, pressing it to my merciful heart. I use punishment when they themselves force me to do so. My hand is reluctant to take hold of the sword of justice. Before the day of justice, I am sending the day of mercy. So note what's going on here, which is, that Jesus wants to, you know, flood us away, uh, you know, on on a tsunami of his mercy. He does not want to have to impose justice, but there is one step necessary between bet- between the mercy and escaping the justice, and that is repentance. In other words, he wants to give us that mercy but that mercy is contingent on us repenting. He cannot give us that mercy unless we turn from our evil ways and turn to him. Um, so it's not that he wants to punish us. He wants to show mercy, but we have to do our part, which is repentance. And um I might as well just put in a little plug now. It is Lent. It is uh, a very practice, I think we all know that, to go to confession during Lent, to go to pre- confession before Easter. Lent is the, is the season of repentance. It's a, the it's a season of penance because it's the season of repentance um, or vice versa. And um, the, uh, the Holy Father in his, in his making this the year of mercy has actually instituted what he calls missionaries of mercy to go around the world's uh, priests who are specially appointed to not only hear confessions, but the Holy Father has given them the authority to forgive sins that, under normal circumstances, uh, can only be forgiven by the Holy See, can't be forgiven by an ordinary priest. This is the season to turn to God with open hearts and um, and ask for his mercy, and that's all that's required to receive his mercy, and to escape his justice. But we do not get the mercy without repentance. And if we do not get the mercy, then we are in danger of facing his justice, which seems to be the theme of most of these comments of his in St. Faustina's diary. Let me go back to them. Um, Here's paragraph 965, Jesus speaking. Souls perish in spite of my bitter passion. I am giving them the last hope of salvation, that is, the feast of my mercy. If they will not adore my mercy, they will perish for all eternity. Tell souls about this great mercy of mine, because the awful day, the day of my justice, is near. Can't get much clearer than that. And uh, if my memory serves me correctly, the first time the feast of divine mercy was instituted in the Universal Church was, I believe, the year 2001 was when Pope John Paul II instituted it. So here Jesus is making a direct connection between the Feast of Divine Mercy and then following shortly thereafter the day of his justice, in other words, the Second Coming. And again, he's saying, look, I underwent my bitter passion. I poured out my blood and water so that all of you could be saved. So I, because I don't want to impose my justice on anybody. You know, I'm begging you to accept the grace for which I went through my passion, but we have to do our part, which is a very, very, very tiny sliver of cooperation, which is uh, repentance and asking for his mercy. And as Catholics, we have a sacrament to do that, which is the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of confession. Let me just reread that paragraph I just read. Souls perish in spite of my bitter passion. I am giving them the last hope of salvation, that is, the feast of my mercy. If they will not adore my mercy, they will perish for all eternity. Tell souls about this great mercy of mine, because the awful day, the day of my justice, is near." So with that, I, I see we have another caller, so let me uh, go to uh, the caller. Are you there, Judy?
1: Yes, I'm here. Uh, um, well, I have a question. Sure. Okay, um, um, Jesus tells uh, Sister Faustina how much weight the uh, chaplet has, and I'm wondering, how does that compare to the rosary?
0: Thank you for asking. And um, i way, way out of my league to give a straight answer to that question. Um, I would say that, you know, in to the extent that we're capable of understanding it, they both are vehicles of absolutely incomprehensible graces. And, um, you know, we're trying to compare the kind of finiteness of our understanding with um, the, you know, infinite mercy and graces of God. So I, 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 I can't compare them except that, you know, no one is going to go wrong at all with either of them. Um, uh, so I, I mean, because I wouldn't want to say. I mean, I could I could kind of lightly say that Jesus is certainly really underlining the uh, unprecedented uh, graces associated with the Chaplet of Divine Mercy here. But we also know, you know, from other sources and other contexts that, in some sense, the same is true of the Rosary. Um, so thank you for that uh question. I will also say that there's, there's certainly a particular association between the chaplet of divine mercy and the hour of dying. Um, it's wonderful to say rosary, of course, in the presence of somebody who's dying as they're dying. It's also very, very wonderful to say the chaplet of divine mercy, uh, in their presence when they are dying. So there is something special connecting the chaplet to the hour of Jesus' death and uh, probably for that reason, the um, kind of connecting it to the, um, to the fruits of his passion at the hour of our death. Anyway, I can't really answer, although it's a great question, but one isn't going to go wrong with either, that's for sure. Um, so going back to St. Faustina's diary... I hope I I gave credit to the question, but I can't make up an answer I don't have. Going back to St. Faustina's diary, um, and this I think is particularly sweet because St. Faustina basically could not understand how Jesus could tolerate all of the sins she saw around her. And remember that she was living um, in the 1930s in Poland. She was basically seeing Poland swamped. By the Third Reich, by the invasion of the Nazis and, um, you know, all of their brutality and all of the chaos that came with that, um, uh, you know, turning upside down of the world order. So she just could not understand how Jesus could tolerate the amount of sin that she saw around her. And by the way, however bad it was then, I'm, I'm sure it's worse in God's eyes now. But so here in the diary, she says, Once I asked the Lord Jesus how he could tolerate so many sins and crimes and not punish them. And the Lord answered me, I have eternity for punishing these. And so I am prolonging the time of my mercy for the sake of sinners. But woe to them if they do not recognize this time of my visitation. So in other words, and I think there's another passage where he says essentially i can afford to be so merciful now because i have all eternity for my justice so there is in a way there is uh, there are two sides of the same coin his mercy which he is as i said before dying to pour out on us so that we escape his justice but if we don't make use of his mercy then we are left with his justice um i'll just read now i'll um read, uh, I guess, uh, two more passages from Jesus. Paragraph 965, he says to St. Faustina, he, or Saint, uh, Jesus refers to St. Faustina as his secretary of mercy uh, because her particular uh, uh, vocation was to serve as a secretary for divine mercy. In other words, to write down what he was saying and propagate devotion to divine mercy. So he says to her, Secretary of my mercy, write, Tell souls about this great mercy of mine, because the awful day, the day of my justice, is near. So again, he's saying explicitly, the reason for these revelations is precisely because the last big gesture before the day of his justice, in other words, the second coming, is this revelation of divine mercy, as his day of mercy. Let's hope it's not literally this year of mercy, that's the last stage before his second coming. Um, although I'm contradicting myself, let's, let's hope that it is, in fact, and that that uh, the year of mercy is immediately followed by his second coming. Uh, anyway, another paragraph from Jesus in the diary, 17, uh, paragraph 1732. Uh, St. Faustina says, As I was praying for Poland, I heard the words, I bear a special love for Poland, and if she will be obedient to my will, I will exalt her in might and holiness. From her will come forth a spark that will prepare the world for my final coming. So, from Poland will come forth a spark that will prepare the world for my final coming. Uh, I know of two interpretations of this. Some people think it refers to the revelations of divine mercy themselves. And some people think it refers as well to Saint John Paul II, who, of course, was the first and only pope that came from Poland, and that St. John Paul II and his message and his message about divine mercy, too, were themselves the spark that would prepare the world for Jesus' final coming, in other words, the second coming. And now, finally, I'll read a paragraph from the diary that are the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um to to St. Faustina. This is uh, paragraph 635, the Blessed Virgin Mary speaking. I gave the Savior to the world. As for you, you have to speak to the world about his great mercy and prepare the world for the second coming of him who will come not as a merciful Savior, but as a just judge. Oh, how terrible is that day. Determined is the day of justice.
2: <coughs>
0: Excuse me. The day of divine wrath. The angels tremble before it. Speak to souls about this great mercy while it is still the time for granting mercy. That was paragraph 635. So I think that makes very clear how um, central the message of the Second Coming is to St. Faustina's diary and how intimately linked the revelations uh, to St. Faustina and the revelation of divine mercy are precisely to the Second Coming itself. And again, in the context of this being the Jubilee Year of Mercy, it's also a very sobering thought. Now, we are coming... Uh, pretty much to the close of the show, we're coming late in the show, so I would like to read another passage from St. Faustina's Diary that ties together the theme of the conversion of the Jews with the theme of divine mercy, and I will immediately then go to reading a paragraph 916 to 917. Today is so special for me. Even though I encountered so many sufferings, my soul is overflowing with great joy This is, of course, St. Faustina speaking. In a private room next to mine, there was a Jewish woman who was seriously ill. I went to see her three days ago and was deeply pained at the thought that she would soon die without having her soul cleansed by the grace of baptism. I had an understanding with her nurse, a religious sister, that when her last moment would be approaching, she would baptize her. There was this difficulty, however, that there were always some Jewish people in the room with her. However, I felt inspired to pray before the image which Jesus had instructed me to have painted. I have a leaflet with the image of the Divine Mercy on the cover. And I said to the Lord, Jesus, you yourself told me that you would grant many graces through this image. I ask you then for the grace of holy baptism for this Jewish lady. It makes no difference who will baptize her as long as she is baptized. After these words, I felt strangely at peace, and I was quite sure that, despite the difficulties, the waters of holy baptism would be poured upon her soul. That night, when she was very low, I got out of bed three times to see her, watching for the right moment to give her this grace. The next morning, she seemed to feel a little better. In the afternoon, her last moment began to approach. The sister who was her nurse said that baptism would be difficult because they were with her. The moment came when the sick woman began to lose consciousness, and as a result, in order to save her, they began to run about. Some went to fetch the doctor, while others went off in other directions to find help. And so the patient was left alone, and Sister baptized her. And before they had all rushed back, her soul was beautiful, adorned with God's grace. Her final agony began immediately, but it did not last long. It was as if she fell asleep. All of a sudden... I saw her soul ascending to heaven in wondrous beauty. Oh, how beautiful is the soul with sanctifying grace. Joy flooded my heart that before this image I had received so great a grace for this soul. Oh, how great is God's mercy. Let every soul praise it. Oh, my Jesus, that soul for all eternity will be singing you a hymn of mercy. I shall not forget the impression this day has made on my soul. This is the second great grace which I have received here for souls before this image. Oh, how good the Lord is and how full of compassion. Jesus, how heartily I thank you for these graces. The end of the passage from paragraphs 916 to 917. So that is a fitting place to end, and it's also a fitting occasion to exhort, to exhort all of us to pray for the conversion of the Jews, to pray that this grace that St. Faustina saw poured out on this Jewish lady be poured out on many others, so that their souls resplendent also may soar into heaven with sanctifying grace. If praying for the uh, baptism of Jews, praying for the conversion of the Jews, was good enough for St. Faustina, was good enough for Jesus, needless to say, it ought to be good enough for us, And finally, although the day of Jesus's justice may be near, and let's hope uh, and pray that it is, let us also revel, revel in the greatness, the infinite greatness of God's mercy, and thank him for his mercy that he makes available to us, and beg him to make that mercy available to every human soul, by every human soul turning to him and asking for it. As Saint Faustina said, How great is God's mercy. Let every soul praise it. Oh, how good the Lord is and how full of compassion. Jesus, how heartily I thank you for these graces. So with that, I'll say goodbye. And thank you for listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism. And I hope you join us again next week on Radio Maria. Bye for now.